Well, well, I just did a video on my YouTube channel called Eat Like a Happy Person. And what I yeah. said what, what in that video, which is that this is not as much about food as it is about our relationship to food. And that's a mind thing, not a body thing. So you can, I know people who eat very healthy diets. I know people who eat healthier diets than I do, and I eat really well. They're less healthy than I am. You wanna know why? Because they're stressed about food and they think about food all the time. Their lives are dictated by food and they have lists of things they can and can't eat and they can't even barely travel because they're so restrictive in their mindset, right? So it is how we relate to food. And by the way, on a very physiological level, stress weakens digestion. So if you're a highly stressed person, very anxious, you know, not sleeping well, over-caffeinated, you can eat a healthy diet and your body's not even gonna process it well. So for me, again, I'm always coming, like every time you manage stress, if you're living in a managed stress state, your endurance is better, your weight management is better, your digestion is better, your immune system is better, your mood is better, your gut bacteria is better. All those things are better when you know how to manage your stress. Are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored the entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Euro Show. Um, I am here today with uh, Sid Garza Hillman. Sid, are you there? I am here. Nice to be here. Awesome. So glad to have you here. I know we were just chatting before we got on the recording. You're uh, you're coming in from uh, Northern California, is that right? Mendocino Coast, little town. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things. I'm I'm a California native myself, and I always uh, I always giggle with people. They're like, "Oh, you're from California or Northern California?" I'm like, "They're actually like two separate states." Oh boy, are they? Yeah. And I I grew up in Southern California, and so for years I thought. California ended at San Francisco. So that, that was like later when I realized, oh, there's a whole nother California north of San Francisco, even. Yeah. And it um, keeps going too. Like it's really states you can drive 18 hours and still yeah, be in the state. It's true. And now I'm like north of San Francisco. They go, oh, San Francisco. I go, no, no, like four hours like, north. Keep going. San Francisco. Yeah. 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 Keep, keep going. going. Keep going. Yeah. You're still uh still in uh um, in Florida. But yeah, the uh uh I used to go up to um up to that area shasta trinity everything all the time so i really liked uh, i like that part of the of the country um and you know salmon fishing and everything up there it's it's just it's completely different than southern california which it is, is it is completely different very warm and very sunny and it's rainy and all sorts of other stuff up in northern california yeah yeah pretty great up. yeah pretty great um, so what I want to do, um, before we get too far into this is just go through your bio real quick. So our okay. audience knows who you are, and then we'll just dive into your story. So, um, Sid Hillman is the author of three books. Let's see if I can get these titles, right. Approaching the natural, a health manifesto, raising healthy parents, small steps, less stress and a thriving family. Um, and six truths live by these truths and be happy. Don't, and you won't. Um, uh, so you hold a BA in philosophy from UCLA. You're a public speaker, a podcaster on your podcast, what Sid thinks, um, so you're a certified nutritionist, a running coach, an oxygen advantage breathing instructor, which I want to I hear about that because I've never totally. heard of that before, yes. and founder of Small Steppers. Um, you're a Stanford 
what does it say? Stanford Inn and Resort Wellness Program Director and a right. race director of the Mendocino Coast 50K Trail Ultra Marathon. 50K That's is right. a long ways. Yeah, well, it's technically 31.4, but my race goes a little bit over, so it's about 34 miles. That's awesome. On trails, uh, yeah. So why don't we start with uh, essentially what you're known for um, as, uh, you know, for, for your business, basically, what's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Well, I mean, I guess you could say it's under health and wellness, but it's a very specific approach um, that came from a series of failures, uh, meaning that I initially started with coaching people nutrition and, and realized uh, very quickly that they weren't sticking with my recommendations long term. Not that they didn't agree with them, but they didn't have the tools to continue that. So I backed out um, that inspired my first book and also my overall approach, which is small steppers, which is a first, first and foremost, a stress management and habit change approach. Under that, I do coach people, as you said, in, in the bio nutrition, uh, fitness and breath work, but it all is in the stress management and habit change umbrella because without those tools, people will try something and not be able to stick with it. So I first teach them my approach of how to stick with something long enough to make it a habit. Then I teach them the information to then apply that system to. So why don't you start real quick for me? What What is the, the you go through to help people um, to stick with something? Because I, I feel like that's a that's a big win for people. It's, it's, it's huge. Well, so this is like a long-term, you know, this is like the anti-quick fix thing, right? So the, the marketing of the quick fix is very powerful. It's very strong. It's why people are drawn to these kinds of things because it, 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 pre it, it preys, I'm going to say, because it is, it's a sort of a predatory kind of thing, preys on our excitement, our desire for yeah. a good life. And it says, well, I can deliver you that with almost no effort and very quickly, but it can't and it doesn't and it fails every time. So what I do is I have my mantra, I hate that word, but it's what it is over the last few years is mind first, body second, which means we will get to the discussion of weight loss. We'll get to the discussion of endurance and fitness. We'll get to the discussion of, of all this stuff, but let's talk about your goals. Are you very clear about what you actually want? Because if people take another five seconds, they'll say, well, I don't want to just lose weight. I actually want to be at a healthy weight. Okay. Well, that's a different conversation because if you just want to lose weight, go on any diet, you'll lose weight. And most diets will deliver weight loss. They just don't deliver it long-term. So in, in quantifying those goals, like really working with clients for, I mean, weeks, writing them, their writing assignments, getting things very clear. What, what are they actually looking for in their lives? What are their ideals? What are their standards? What are their values? What are their actual goals? Then I will talk about ways to get to those goals, but not until they know exactly what they want first. That's the very opposite of what a diet does. Diet says, don't think about anything. Just do exactly what I tell you. Eat this at this time. Do this exactly, exactly this recipe and you'll lose 10 pounds in 20 days. And like I said, it works and they get excited and the dopamine hormone gets flowing and they're like, this is amazing. And everyone goes, you look so fantastic. Six yeah. months later, they've gained it back almost hundred percent of times, if not hundred percent of times. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I like, I, I worked with a uh, high performance fitness coach for a couple of years. Um, who's, you know, who started market was entrepreneurs like myself. Um, and one of the uh, first things that he did was, was that same, same thing. It's like, what do you actually want out of your health, your health goals? Yeah. Um, and like where, where I came down, what I was like, like the very specific thing that I'm interested in is like, I've got four kids and my youngest one is three and I want to be able to keep up with them hiking when they're 18. That's right. Right. <laughs> which is, which is like, like, I want to be able to take them out and do adventures and stuff with them. I don't want to get old and tired kind of thing. That's right. That makes I, sense. How old are you? I am 36 now. Yeah. See, I'm 53. And I, I like the fact that I can run the course that I direct that I run it the day before. I like that I can go out and do 34 miles on trails. I like that I can, I mean, my twins are 13 now, but they're still young. I play 
basketball, baseball with my kids. I am running around. I'm super active. I do value that. Um, yeah. And I like the fact that most, you know, that I'm able to pull off those things. Those are very real values. Those are so much more important than weight loss. I couldn't care about a scale weight. I do like the fact yeah. that I'm active at my age and a lot of guys my age are not active. And they're on a lot of prescription medications. I'm on zero. I'm on zero non-prescription medications. I value those things so much that I'm able to do the things that are necessary to keep living this way, to not do short-term verse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be able to to live life and like have specific, right. you know, I, I call them life outcomes, like things, like things that you want to do in your life. Uh, yeah. And I tell people all the time for like their business too, like because we do business coaching and other things. And it's like, what do you, what do you actually want your business to do for you? Uh, yeah. Because and, if it's just money, then it's, you lose the, that's probably not what it is. Actually, if you actually, yeah. it's like, it's like people go, I want to lose weight. And I go, wait a second. Why? Right. So if, these, yeah. if you, if you coach somebody and they go, well, what do you want with your business? I want to make money. Well, why? Well, because I want more time off with my family. Okay. Now we're talking right now. That's the yeah. real meat of it. You know? And then, and sort of like when it comes to food, like nutrition coaching, this is loaded because people want it with no, no expenditure. They want, they want their health goals with not giving up anything. And it's like, I'm sorry, but if you understand that you want long-term weight loss, that means sometimes you're going to eat stuff that isn't the best thing ever all the time, every single time you eat, you know, you're going to, it's not a sacrifice at that point. You're just making, you're eating something that's super healthy. It tastes good enough. You do that most days. You have treats when you, you know, are out with friends or on weekends or something, pretty simple thing, mm -hmm. but man, diets sell you this idea that you don't have to do anything. You can have exactly what you want with no effort, almost no effort put in. And that's just a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And like the same thing goes with, with the uh, growing your business, right? Like one of the things that like we travel full time and that's really important to me that we can travel and adventure and do those things. So I have like time requirements for like how much time I'm going to be able to put into my business and how much time I'm going to do it and like income things. But like my, what would you call it? My uh, desire to move to be location independent is one of the higher end things, which, which puts a lot of restrictions on what I can or can't do from you know, offering services and products and whatnot in my business. Um, because like, I got a good friend of mine who's like, I'm, I'm just so jealous of your business. Cause I built my, I built my business. He makes probably 10 times the income I do. He's like, but I'm stuck with like an eight hour chain to this area. That's right. Yeah. So you, you were very clear about what your overall over, over, overall goal was. And that informed your actions on the ground. Say, mm -hmm. I apply that same way of thinking to health and, and happiness to know your overall goals informs what you do on the ground, which means it's not, you're not going to dive in and, and overwhelm and burn out yourself on a new diet. You're going to hold back because it's important for you to have a long-term health goal. So it informs what you do day to day, which is going to be a lot less than somebody on a diet does. I use this. It's this, exactly the same approach. I just extrapolated that kind of thing into how I coach people in the fitness world uh, and health and health world in general with nutrition and everything else. It's know your goals first, because that will inform what you, you do on what you do day to day. Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. doing, you're living that thing. You're not willing to make more money at the expense of the true value of what you want to do, which is to be able to travel around and all the things that you want to, you know, not sit in an office for 10 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and you, you find out you actually need a lot less money to do the things you want than you originally think when you get it, when you, you know, when you set out to go do something. Yeah. Well, no, of course you and if you make a bunch of money, what happens? You start spending more money. Yeah. Then you have, then you have to make that amount of money to keep, keep going. Right. That's the thing that we've all kind of gotten into. Like we more income, we, Oh, I can afford this and this. And then I'm sort of locked into that income. So I'm grappling with those things myself and, and uh, trying to stay, keep my, and it's an ongoing work, right? It's an ongoing focus on what are your goals. And so with clients, I'm constantly rem remind, even when we get into the minutia of, okay, well now you know how to do the approach. Let's start, you know, adjusting your diet, let's say. 
But every now and every few days, I go, let's remember your goals. Go back and read what you wrote about what you want in your life because you're getting all excited about food now. I go, hold on a second. Don't take on so much because your goal isn't short-term weight loss. And so it's always like a bounce back to when they were calm and in their kind of good place when they wrote those things. I go, go back because that's who you are. Revisit that every now and then. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting when I started my uh, um, my health journey, it was actually not weight loss. It was weight gain because I was yeah. always a scrawny kid. Sure. Um, I could never put on weight. Um, and my health coach, one of the first things we did was he went, we went through a, uh, like a genetic testing thing, um, and discovered like whatever the gene is that gives you like a hunger and satiety response. I don't mm -hmm. have mine is not activated. So I don't really experience hunger the way most people do. And I don't really feel full when, um, when I finish food and he's like, there's generally two responses to that gene flip. And one of them is, um, you overeat because you because you don't you don't have the full thing, or the other yeah. one is you undereat. He's like it's right. more it's more uncommon in America to undereat. He's like, but that's sort of where you're at. Yeah. Um, and so he had me do a food log for a couple of months, essentially. Um, and he was like, yeah, my my average calorie intake on a daily basis was like twelve hundred to fourteen hundred calories, despite right. being active and doing all these things. He's like, right. that's why you can't gain weight. You're you're not eating enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens to people just in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I've, I've so dealt I had with that to. Uh, I had to retrain myself on like how much food is actually like the right amount of food to eat to actually, you know, to right. gain weight. And then after we made those adjustments, actually doing the workout stuff like that, I was able to put on like 10 pounds of muscle in like three or four months. Nice. Um, Huge. After 20 years of not being able yeah. to put on any weight at all. I get it. Yeah. The body, uh, the body tells you things, you know, and, and even without a genetic test, you can, you can use those markers of, am I gaining weight? Am I putting, you know, am I doing, if I'm weightlifting and not, and not, and not increasing my ability over time, something isn't adding up, probably you're undernourished, you know? And yeah. so, and so those are ways that I can look at it even without a blood test, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was fascinating because, because he was like, they, they were, it was just one of the first things he identified. And I was like, it's really interesting when, when you start looking at a, the data that your body is giving you. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can learn a lot and, and make adjustments and yeah. it's, it's not hard really, if you just make simple changes. Yes. Hence, hence small steppers. You know, that's what, that's, that's my whole benchmark of my entire approach, which is, you know, making little changes and kind of guiding the ship in a very, you know, looking at everything kind of way and making micro adjustments along the way, always improving along the way, not pushing too hard in one area that you end up burning out and doing nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I said, I definitely had a different health coach than you, but he had a similar approach. Cause he was like, we're not going to do all these things. We're going to do one thing. He's like, we're going to do so a food smart. log. So smart. Right? Yeah, and it was like, there. okay, now we've done a food log. Let's, let's try adding one extra meal. Yep. Right. There, there you go. Uh, Same. That was it. Yeah. Because it, 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 <laughs> it, it works, you know, and, and, and so guys like that and myself are battling the People magazine before and after photo, yeah. uh, the, you know, the P90X, you know, DVD. Those are great, but they're like 10 minutes a day. Have you ever done one of those DVD? I have. I actually went through the P90X program when my it's, wife was pregnant with our it, first so, baby. So would you say it's a very easy 10 minutes? No. It's a nightmare, right? <laughs> so it's like, it, it sounds great 10 minutes, but that is a brutal 10 minutes. Like I do some high interval, uh, high intensity interval training and it's like 15 minutes and I go, it's only 15 minutes, but boy, is that a slow 15 minutes? You know, like you are yeah, in yeah. deep, you know, and so we that's enough. I, I remember yeah. really specifically doing the yoga on the P90X thing 
and I was like, yoga, yo yoga, it's yoga, right? Yoga, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Really gotta hard. be easy. Yeah. It's gotta be easy. And we did the first yoga thing and we only made it halfway through the routine before right. we were like on the floor, like, I can't do this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a treadmill and it has this like iFit pre, you know, like it, it's got a Nordic track, it has like, you know, those programs and videos and everything. One was like an 18 minute hike. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'll do an 18 minute hike today. It was to this day the hardest work I've ever done on that machine. I was dying. I had to stop like every three minutes, stop the machine, pause it, sit down and get back on because it was like incline of this a whole way, 18 minutes right so oh, even man. something that we're sold like it's only 10 minutes well that's a, that can be enough if somebody doesn't have the proper sort of mindset around it and everything else to just people won't make it through you know yeah yeah and then like you know tony horton's famous for his like plyometric push-ups where he's mm -hmm. done you know he, he can like jump off the ground with his push-ups all four limbs and he's like we're gonna do some push-ups and then he gets on the ground and he does push-ups and his whole body comes off the ground i'm like <laughs> different 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 push-up than i thought yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh so yeah that was like that was like it's a little more intense than what i'm used to yeah um so i want to talk a little bit then about your origin story how you got into this business of helping people take small steps with their health um and you know just every good comic book hero has an origin story it's the thing that made them into the hero they are the day today and i want to hear that story were you you know bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into health coaching or did you start in a job and eventually become an entrepreneur basically how did you get here I was, I was bit by a vegan. No, that's a total bit joke. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, which was not vegan for them to do that to me. Uh, anyways, um, I, uh, my, so interesting origin story, which is if you, um, I got out of UCLA um, with one goal in mind, which was to be an indie rock musician. That's a good so, goal. Yeah. So that was my goal. That was my big goal. Indie rock musician. Um, I took a job at UCLA at, uh, in the audiovisual department with a bunch of other misfits, actors and, and uh, writers and musicians. And it was kind of this motley crew of people trying to do other things. And in my pursuit of music playing gigs at night, I then from a weird chain of events, got landed an agent to act. And I started to making a living as an actor. So I quit that job and, and became a full-time actor in Los Angeles for years. And so it's a completely different thing than I do now. But here was the through line. I was a um, lifetime and lifelong asthmatic with a lot of allergies. So when I was about 22, just out of college, I was given a book and I read it. It was about nutrition. I'd never read a nutrition book in my life, had no interest in it at all. But it made a correlation between dairy and asthma. I thought, well, that's doesn't make any sense because dairy is like in your stomach and asthma is in your lungs. There's no whatever. But on a lark, I gave up dairy for a month just to see what it was like. And my asthma went away for the first time in 22 years. No medication. That's amazing. That was, yeah. And, and my allergies almost entirely gone. So that was my first foray into diet and nutrition and like, whoa. And as a singer, I really dug that a lot. I liked, again, it was already an attachment to the quality of life. It wasn't about a weight loss thing or even anything minutiae. It was like, oh, wait, this makes my life better. So there wasn't a restrictive aspect of it. I, I hear all the time, I can never give up cheese. Well, it wasn't a big deal for me because my life got way better for doing it. So for years then, I was playing music and doing acting and the whole thing, but started reading nutrition book after nutrition book just because it was like, this is so fascinating. My diet evolved and I started getting in better shape and then I would make mistakes and I, you know, kind of, and it's just learning, learning, learning. Finally, Los Angeles burnt me and my wife out. We were there for 20 years. My wife also went to UCLA. We stayed in Los Angeles after we graduated and just sort of hung out there and worked like we did. But eventually took our toll. We had a 19 month old, our daughter, first daughter was born at that time in Los Angeles. And we realized 
I, I probably mean more than my wife. She was ready to go, but I was really ready to go. My band, I'd stopped playing in LA because I didn't like the club scene there. I had already been on tour in Europe and got spoiled by not playing in Los Angeles. And I just said, you know what, let's, can we get out of here? And she was like, let's, I don't know, but, but let's start looking around. And we found this little town and we moved up and we, it was like a five day turnaround from the moment I stepped foot in this town to the moment, to the five days later, when we put an offer on a house and put our house up for sale in Los Angeles was six days total. Nice. And, and yeah, and we relocated up here. Once we got up here, we sat on the counter of our kitchen and went, what the hell did we just do? Because we were really not planned in a, <laughs> in a sort of substantial way. But there was this resort set uh, 10 minutes or 12 minutes away, 11, 13 minutes away, called the Stanford Inn. So I go down, I go, let me get a serving bartending job. Because we're literally like, I'm, we're, we were doing some, my wife's a designer. She, we were doing some letterpress printing, like just kind of trying to figure out. And my plan was I'd go down to LA every now and then and, and audition for work. And I'd call my agent and I'd go, okay, I'm coming down. He'd go, don't bother. Don't come. I go, why? There's nothing going on. You left at a really good time, but there's it dry. There's nothing going on. It just kept doing that. So I never went back down. So I was like, I got to figure out something to do here. So I started working at the Stanford Inn, but still with my nutrition thing going on. So I, within a year, said to the owners, Joan and Jeff Sanford, I said, if I go back to school and, and get a certification in nutrition, can I teach here? And they said, absolutely. So I went back to school, a year and a half program. My twins were then born in 09. Uh, I was in school, became certified as a nutritionist, started teaching at the resort, working with clients on the side. And the rest is really history because at that point, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, I had the failure of teaching people a nutritional approach, which I still stand by today, but that they weren't sticking with, made me back out, inspired me to write my first book, inspired me to launch my first podcast, which is different from the one I do now, but, um, and begin working and speaking all over the country. It opened up a whole new thing for me, which was, oh, this is not about food. This is about stress and habit change. Oh, okay. Now we can apply that to food, et cetera, et cetera. So that really was the, the, um, inspiration for the work I do now and my three books that I've had published and, and on, and a fourth one on the way. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and, and I, I can, I can feel you on the whole six days thing. Our, uh, our decision to move into an RV and travel around the country five years ago, um, was inspired by, uh, our, our landlord, you know, who came, came in one week and he's like, we're, uh, um, I'll bring you the uh, contract to resign the lease at the end of the week. So, you know, cause the year lease is up and we got to just resign the contract and he comes back the next week and he goes, so the, uh, property owner decided to sell, I can't resign the lease for you. Wow. Um, and he's like, he's like, uh, uh, they're supposed to give you like 60 days when you have kids and whatnot. And it was like 35. Well, I was like, so I could have, I could have been um, a butt about it if I wanted to, but I was yeah. like, my wife and I just looked at each other and we're like, how about we take that RV trip we've been talking about instead of trying to find another place. Unbelievable. And in, in 28 days, we drove 1500 miles to look at three different RVs. Um, we bought one of them. Our friends bought another one. We brought that back home. And the remaining 14 days, I renovated that RV. My wife sold everything we owned and took care of the house. And then we moved into the RV on day 28 and haven't looked back. Unbelievable. Um, so See? we've been traveling like, since. Unbelievable. God, that is that, so cool. That moment when, you know, we were, um, when we, we pulled out of the, on the RV for the first time, we sat there and we're like, what the hell did we just do? <laughs> Oh we yeah. Moment. Same moment. Right. It's just like, what the, yeah, such a huge change. Right. But it's like, you prefer that to, you know, being in your eighties and going, I never did that. You know, like I, for yeah. me, I just go, I, we sat on the counter and we were like, what in 
what do we do? What did we do? You know, it was like our friends were all in LA. Like we, and they were thought we were crazy. We're like, we're moving to Mendocino. They're like, first of all, they're like, where, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And second of all, they're like, why you're moving? You're like, we people, were in L- people in LA are only aware of LA. That's right. Just- oh no. And we, we were too. I mean, we didn't even know until we started looking around. Right. And it was like, then we went, Oh, this whole thing opened up of like these little towns. And I was like, Oh my God, we could live in like a little town. That's great. You know? And so the rest is history. And, we, and the crazy thing is we've been up here for 16 years which is approaching how long we were in LA, you know? So it's like, I, I feel like we just moved up here, but we've been here almost as long as we were in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said your, uh, your youngest was born in 2000, was 2009. The youngest was born in 2000. Uh, sorry. The twins were born in 2009. My youngest was born in 2004. So we moved, so she was in 2004. We, we moved up here in 2006. So my, in the beginning of 2006. So my oldest daughter was about 19 months old when we moved up here. And then, three years later my twins were four years later my twins were born yeah yeah so my uh your youngest and my oldest are the same age um so they uh um, that's that's fun but yeah so you end up getting into um getting into the space where you were you were teaching when where does the breath work come in uh pretty recently within the last couple years actually so i'm i'm always looking into things i'm always researching whatever is happening in the health and fitness world. I'm, I'm a longtime practitioner of cold, of cold therapy, for instance. Um, I've been doing that four years every day, literally every day. I think I missed one single day in the last over four years. I've, I've done it a couple of uh, times. I hate it. I yeah, it more, everybody, hates hate it. It. <laughs> everybody hates it. Everybody hates it. It's what it is. I hate it. Every, I've joked about this on my, on my videos. I've 100% dreaded it every single time. But every time I get out, I go, I'm glad I did that. It's a weird game my brain plays. I go, I do not want to do this. I do it and I get out. Um, but so- the the my first foray into breath work really was because of cold therapy so that was about actually it's it's five the, years i just like had my same fun. kind of stuff that like wim hof teaches no it, it really is so i did his 10 week i did his 10 week program in 2017 okay. so i'm actually realized i just hit the five-year anniversary on july 15th so i've been doing it five five years every single day with the exception of one single day so in 2017 i do his 10-week course on a lark i go that's like kind of cool I've been practicing that breath work every day, like I said, and getting in the cold shower. Now I have a cold tub that stays at 39 degrees on my deck outside. Yeah, yeah. And in the winter, in the, in, yeah, and in the winter, it's something interesting because I a few uh, more than a few days. This winter, it would be like 39 degrees outside. So I walk outside at 39 degrees and I get in a 39 degree tub. It's like as cold as it is, as it is outside. Anyways, so um, that was my first foray into breath work. The Wim Hof breath work thing is, I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's very much of like, you do it for 20 minutes. It's not how you breathe regularly. It's just a, an exercise you do. Yeah, and I've, I do I've actually done a little bit of it. There you go. So it's, you know, and you hold the exhale and you, okay, so that's the whole thing. But in my research into breath work in general, I stumbled upon something called a program called the Oxygen Advantage run by a guy named Patrick McEwen. He was mentioned and cited in the book Breath by James Nestor, which is a great book. If you haven't read it, it's, it's, he's a journalist and he kind of looks into all these different kinds of breath modalities and oxygen advantage is one of them. It piqued my interest for a number of reasons, anxiety, stress, but also increased endurance. So as a running coach, I was like, okay, if there's a play into, if there's a move into or an influence in the fitness realm, I'm game. Let me check this out. So I went through his certification training and I love, love it. So I'm not a Wim Hof practitioner. Again, I took the 10-week course, but I'm not a certified coach in that, so I don't coach anybody, but I am an oxygen advantage. So I do breathwork classes at the inn, at the resort, and I also teach clients breathwork um, 
that are in my small steps program. I do separate breath, co breath coaching. It's, it's different from Wim Hof in the sense that oxygen advantage is geared toward training people how to breathe functionally most of the time. Whereas Wim Hof is like, you do this for 20 minutes and you're done for the rest of the day. Oxygen advantage is very much geared toward training your body or retraining as it's not a new way to breathe. It's like, let's get back to the old way when we were breathing slower and lighter and not over breathing because of stress in the modern world. So it's very much of a certain exercises that allow people to learn how to functionally breathe again. And it's been incredible. I mean, so incredible that I, with my clients, I am getting into the breath work before nutrition, which for years it was like, okay, small steps, stress management. Okay. Now let's talk about food. Now it's small steps, stress management. Let's talk about breathing then we talk about food. So it's actually taken the pole position in my coaching program. So, so just out of curiosity, how, how does that discussion go over generally with clients so that you're like, Hey, we're going to start with your breathing when they have goals. Like I want to be fit when I'm 60. Yeah. Well, because I, because before they get to do the program with me, there's a, I have a 15 minute phone call with them, zoom call where I say, this may not be your, 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 your back. And here's why, because I'm not going to talk about food for four weeks because you have done 10 yo-yo diets already and you're coming to me at least to, to broach the subject of maybe doing things different. So here's what I tell them right away. I go, listen, if you don't want to push the food discussion down the road by 10, five, you know, six, uh, five, four to six weeks, you are not ready yet. You got to go and do another 10 more diets and realize they don't work. Then we'll come back and do the hard work. So what I tell people very I'm like, listen, unless you're crawling to the finish here, unless you're like, I don't want to do this ever again. I want to do it differently. I go, okay, good. Now we can get the work done. If you're like, well, I, I kind of like this, but I, I, my friend, I go, go do the diet, go do, go do five more diets. They don't work, but if you get it out of your system, then come back to me. So by the time there, I'm working with them in my 12 week system, me broaching breathwork is the zeroest surprise. If that's a word, the zeroest surprise, the zeroest, the zeroest, <laughs> zeroest surprise. There's no surprise. They go, of course, because I'm because they know that I'm about stress management and making this long term. That's what I'm. I keep I keep reinforcing that. I, and in time they go, but I want to talk about food. I go, we're not there yet. I've actually with clients, I've said, if they kind of bring it up, I go, we can put this work on hold if you got to go do ten more diets. So we can stop right now, and you may never have to come back. And then they go, okay, because they know it doesn't. They've already done that, right? They know. What, I'm like, you've seen this movie before. Let's do it differently. <laughs> you know how it ends. You know how it ends. But we, right? We always think, but that diet's different. You know, I've, I've worked with people who have had gastric bypass surgery, lost tons of weight. Guess what? Gained it all back. You want to know why? Because they don't have the tools to make lifelong and real changes. And I don't care. A surgery ain't going to cover you if you, if you haven't dealt with the underlying issues of why you were overeating in the first place, right? So that's the work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like one of, one of the things I've, I've learned over the years is that it, what you eat certainly matters, but it matters less than how, how like ready your body is for food. Well, well, I just did a video on my YouTube channel called eat like a happy person. And what I yeah. said, what, what in that video, which is that this is not as much about food as it is about our relationship to food. And that's a mind thing, not a body thing. So you can, I know people who eat very healthy diets. I know people who eat healthier diets than I do. And I eat really well they're less healthy than I am. You want to know why? Because they're stressed about food and they think about food all the time. And their lives are dictated by food and they have lists of things they can and can't eat and they can't even barely travel because they're so restrictive in their mindset, right? So it is how we relate to food. And by the way, on a very physiological level, stress weakens digestion. So if you're a highly stressed person, very anxious, 
you know, not sleeping well, over caffeinated, you can eat a healthy diet and your body's not even going to process it well. So for me, again, I'm always coming like every time you manage stress, if you're living in a managed stress state, your endurance is better. Your weight management is better. Your digestion is better. Your immune system is better. Your mood is better. Your gut bacteria is better. All those things are better when you know how to manage your stress. Now within that umbrella, sure, eating well is phenomenal. It's phenomenal, but it is not the only thing. Yeah. And so and it, yeah, it was one of the things it. that just blew me away when I started learning about it myself with my health coach, because he was like, we worked on body toxicity. We worked mm -hmm. on body parasites. We worked on the volume of food that you're eating. We worked on um, mind, like how your, how your mind interacts with food. And we worked yeah. on, um, on sleep. Um, we spent a lot of time working on sleep and getting yeah. a point because I, I, I had a, I started a long time falling asleep, like at night and getting a good full eight hours of sleep. And it's like, and it was probably a year of working with him before we even got to food. See, that's the <laughs> same working out. Yeah. I was well, like, that's... there was no working out, no food. It was just, it was all right. these other things. Right. But he'd be smarter and I'd be smarter if I just said, Hey, Richard, um, I can gain you 10 pounds of pure muscle in, in 12, in, in 12 weeks. If you just do exactly my gym workout and you'd sell, you'd buy that more people will buy that. But if yeah. you take a year to get into the actual doing of it, he's got a, he's got a long view mindset, just like I do, but that's, that's few and far between. That is not what sells. I'm not a hugely successful practitioner. I'm not people. I don't have millions of followers. I don't even have thousands of followers. And the reason is, is because my stuff is you not the sexy. Stuff that works. Yeah, not, I do the yeah. stuff that works. It's not sexy. I always joke. I go, this is not the sexy work. This is the real work. So yeah. my most of my clients are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. You wonder why? Because they've already gotten that crap out of their system. Because they're already like, okay, we're good. We're done. I'm done. I'm done. Like I don't yeah. want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm exhausted. I don't want to talk about food anymore. I go, good. Now we can get the real work done. Yeah, and then we did we did a whole thing on uh um for for several months on uh, hormones and testosterone and right. like got before and after like testosterone stuff done and red light therapy and some nutritional things that were all geared towards your hormones. He's like because he's like almost he's like unless your body is like in the right spot, it almost doesn't matter what you eat or what yeah. workouts you do. It's not going to get you the result you want. Yeah, I mean you know those things have very real results. There's no doubt about that. But you do have to have your mind and body in a place. I I just call it low in a managed stress state, but people yeah. can call it different low, things. But that's essentially state. what's happening. Yeah, your hormones are balanced in a managed stress state. You know, it's like all those things go wonky when we're too stressed or under stressed, right? Yeah. If you're too stagnant, you're sitting on a couch all day. That's going to be damaging. But if also if you're beating yourself up in a gym all day, that's stress. And yeah. that doesn't mean you can eat whatever you want. Oh, I mean, I work out all day. I can eat whatever I want. That's absolutely not true physiologically. The more workout you do in the gym, the more stress on your body, the more your body needs proper nutrition to support its recovery from that workout, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it, you can't just go, I just work out all the time. I'm fine. No, you know, doesn't mean you're healthy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it's been one of the more fascinating journeys I've been on in my life is learning, learning how my body works. Yeah. Um, and learning how it relates to all these things. Cause I grew up thinking it's, you know, you, you work out to take care of the calories that you ate, right? Like that, right. that was like the only thing yeah. that you learn. That's right. Um, and there, it was like the basics that you learn in like school and other things is like, you know, if you, if you, uh, eat more than you use, you'll gain weight. If you eat less than you, 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 you use, then you'll lose weight. Um, and that's like the only thing you ever learn. Yeah. Yeah, Which calories is like, in, calories out. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't talk about health and that doesn't talk about the body's response to food and it doesn't talk about how the body's ability to, to assimilate and utilize food and digest food, all those kinds of things. It's a little more yeah. intricate than such and a simple- rest and hormones and yes. like the way that you're, you're like 
the health of your actual like digestive system, how it yeah. has to function properly. Cause that's right. You know, if, um, you know, you got the beginnings of IBS or whatever, you're not going to digest anything. Yeah. I've worked with people okay. who ha who are eating like pretty darn good diets, but they've died. They've had diarrhea for two years. You know, I go, yeah. so what's happening if you're eating a really good diet and you can't even digest it and your, your, your gut and your digestive system is a shambles. You got to deal with that first. Then we can talk about the food later. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I say, I think probably, probably one of the most poignant things my health coach ever said to me was he was like, your, your trajectory can either be downwards or it can be upwards as you age. And he's like, there's mm -hmm. no reason why it has to be downwards. I know. Like he's yeah. like, you, you can continue to get healthier and healthier and healthier until you die. You know, I, you know, I direct that ultra marathon every year. Yeah. It's been it since fifth year. Every year I have 10, at least 10 over sixties and at least three to four over seventies running my race. It is a 34 mile trail race with 5,000 feet of elevation. And this last year okay. in April, 72 year old woman comes across and she goes like, that was great. She goes trouncing off 72 years old. So you tell me, oh, it's just because I'm I'm old now. That's what happens. Oh, really? Ask the 72-year-old out of the 70-year-olds that crossed my finish line. You know, I've run it for five years. I had to put two years on hold for COVID, but it's I just had its fifth year. Every year I've had over 70s run it. And they come through like like great. That's my I, that's my goal. I don't care about winning a yeah. race at 53. I want to be running a race at 72. So that means my choices as a 53-year-old man right now are dictated by that long-term goal, which means I'm not pushing myself in any one area right now to burn out. So I'm injured and I can't do anything when I'm 72. I do a lot less now so that I can still do stuff at 72. It changes. Yeah, yeah. It always reminds me of uh, that story. What was Jack LaLanne was like, what, 96 when he swam the English Channel? Unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so there's no there's no reason to get unhealthier just because you're aging. No, it's a low bar. People go, oh, so what happens? I go, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have to happen that way. I'm sorry. You know, they just want to like use it as an excuse of why. And it's like, well, wait a second. You're not like really looking at the. You're you know, 50 pounds overweight. That's why. And that's not because you're older. That's because you aren't taking care of yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you absolutely. can just cast it off and not take responsibility, or you can do the hard work of saying, I got to get my crap together. You know, so. I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about your superpowers in your business, right? Every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over the course of your career that really sets you apart and allows you to help your people slay their villains and come on top of their journeys. And the way I like to frame it is your superpower is probably that skill that if you look at everything you've developed over your career, it's the one thing that keeps coming up that ties everything together, right? And with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? Um, that's a tough question for me. I would say something in the line of the way that I empathize with people, um, the way that my sense of, I bring a sense of humor and a levity to very heavy subjects. Um, even my music, I've always been kind of an under the radar guy. I don't think that's, that's like the worst superpower in the world being un, I'm under the radar guy. Um, I'm not mainstream, you know? And so I, who I appeal to are people who I really appeal to even musically. I had core people who loved my music, but just not very many of them, you know? And that's kind of where I've translated into my, you know, my books. Now I have people who are fierce. They really love what I do, my podcast, but there's just not that many of them. So there's, um, a bill. I do have a good ability to empathize with people. I have been through it. I'm in, I'm in, in it. I'm in my struggles. Uh, the same as my clients. I fact, I think I figured out a good way to manage those struggles and, and be successful in, with those. And so therefore I'm effective in when I do teach people. So I would say empathy and, and levity and humor are, are probably the three things that I do best. Yeah. Em empathy is a, 
is is a powerful superpower right yeah. the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see life through their eyes yeah um is it, it's a it's a copywriter skill if you're on the business side but it's also it's it's like it's probably the, one of the most essential skills if you want to help someone be able to change their actions that's right yeah no it is and i mean honestly like i tr i would say i always say over about ha over half my job is is trying to live the example of my work you know trying to be this guy and therefore i am in the struggle always it's never i've never i've had every client of mine is completely different than i am on paper but totally the same when you have a five minute conversation with them i mean the same temptations the same cravings the same trouble with sticking with things the same ups and downs the same all those things that brought me here are the same things that are bringing them here too. And I think that, that, and I do, by the way, that's my parenting style too. You know, I, I want to make sure my kids see that I'm nervous, that I'm afraid when I'm afraid. I do not want them to know the, to think the untruth, which is that I'm somehow got it all figured out. Cause I don't, the question is, what do I do when I don't have it figured out? What do I do when I'm afraid of something? How do I behave when I make a mistake? Those are the things that I want my children to see. And those are the things that I use to inform my clients. Here's how I have made mistakes. Here's how I have done, you know, the work to get around those things and to improve my life as a result of those mistakes. That's what I think is what makes my work effective. Yeah, yeah. We do the same thing with our kids. We let them see everything. Um, yeah. and arguing. See our struggles, see our arguing. Yeah, and even yeah. when, like, even when my, my wife and I argue, which doesn't happen often because, you know, we're, we're pretty good at, pretty good at this whole thing now, but yeah. When we do is like we'll, we'll we'll bring it up with the kids be like hey here's what we're arguing about here's why yeah. here's our struggle with it and here's where our miscommunication was and yeah. why it started and and what could we do better next time when we talk about it and they get to see it resolved yeah, you know because because for, for, for you to hide that argument means your kids grow up in it thinking that arguing is somehow bad or that it's an unhealthy relationship to argue i've been married 27 years do you think that i can get you know if i'm not arguing with my wife i'm not communicating with my wife i mean you can't live in a house and not argue with people. They people get tired. They get irritable. They have miscommunication. It's what we do. But how? What do you do when that happens? That's what defines somebody. That is the character of somebody. Not that they don't make mistakes because we're not robots. What happens when we do make mistakes? What do we do? How do we handle those things? That's what defines a character of somebody. That's what what I want my kids to see. I don't want them to go. My dad never made mistakes. I want them to go. When my dad made mistakes, here's what he did. When my mom screwed up, here's what she did. That's yeah. that's real stuff. Right. And yeah. that, by the way, when, when you screw hold... up or go ahead, I say when you screw up or like when, when, uh, you know, to, to put it mildly, when the shit hits a fan for circumstances, yeah. right. When things blow up or things don't work out the way that you want them to yeah. you handle those responses and not just hide all the struggles from your kids, but just let them see like, Hey, here's how we deal with these kind of things. Well, and what's interesting, what you just said, and by the way, you swore first, just for the record. Um, so, uh, <laughs> But, but um, no, but, but I extrapolate that same thing to my work. I just did a um, podcast episode called At All Other Times because the same thing holds true with food. I have clients who overeat at one meal and they just beat themselves up. Oh my God, you have no control. And I go, what did you do during the day? Well, I had fresh fruit and I, I go, so you had a really good day, didn't you? You know, so we are super focused on these mistakes and we, and we are trained, many of us, from youth, from our childhoods, to focus on the one mistake as if it's a, a, a statement of who we are as a person. And I go, I, I'm not even a huge sports fan, but I always use the game tapes analogy. I go, I go let's, let's go look at the game tapes, right? What you do is you analyze. You don't look at the mistake and go, I'm a bad person. I'm weak. I'm, you go, okay, made a mistake. Okay, let me look at that. 
let me look at the circumstances. What could I have done differently? Let me learn from that mistake. If there, there's a few key items that I teach my clients, that's one of the biggest, which is don't use overeating or eating food that you didn't really want in the moment because you just whatever. Don't use, don't waste that opportunity. That's an amazing opportunity to look at what was your stress level? Have you not been sleeping well? Have you, how's your stress level in general? Did you just get off a bad day at work? What could you have done differently at work to maybe come home and not be such in a bad mood? There's all these kinds of things that I've applied again to myself that people can use when they make that so-called mistake, but we don't, we just go, yeah. I can't do it. It's like, oh yes, you can. We we're not robots, you know? Yeah. Or, or like when, when you sort of have everything else lined up and you're doing, doing your health and lifestyle the way that you want, sometimes you're just at a party with friends and you know, you overeat. It's not, not a big deal. Like it's not, not only, no, throw you that's off like, the train. and not only that, that's the time to overeat. Yeah. See, so that, this, like, this is what I told clients. I, that's what I told clients. I like, people make fun of me at parties. Like, what you eat so much? I go, yeah, because I'm at a party. I don't do this all the time. That's why I'm thin. Right. So it's like, that's why I'm in, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape, but like, that's the time to do. I've had, I'm not kidding, Richard. I've had clients where I say, listen, I need you to eat junk food on Saturday night. And I do that because they are holding on so tight. They have been trained to do this idea of perfection and it's always made them quit. And they try to pull that with me. And I go, what did it? You're holding on too tight. You think you can't make a so-called mistake, which means you're thinking about food more than anything else in your life. And you have other things going on. So on Saturday, I want you to consciously and intentionally have some junk food and I want you to enjoy the crap out of it. And I want you to really have fun with it. That way you get up on Sunday and you don't have no, you have no regrets about it. You go, I'm really glad I did that. That's happy living. That's healthy living, right? That's, that's one of the things my wife and I do. So like we, we cook everything from scratch. My wife is a fantastic chef. Um, I'm pretty good myself. We, we like to cook. Our kids, our kids are learning how to cook. My son mm -hmm. can make, he can grocery shop and make an entire meal for himself, including like for, for, for a whole group of people, he makes a, like a, a stuffed shells ricotta thing. And he actually makes amazing. the ricotta from scratch. Oh my God. Thing. Amazing. It's amazing. So like, you know, they know, like my kids know how to bake bread from scratch. They know how to bake noodles and stuff like from scratch. So that like we eat well, yeah. uh, but on Friday nights, we go out to the grocery store and we buy a bunch of junk food and we watch movies and we have a great time. That's that's that we do that on week. We do, we do that Saturday night. Saturday nights are our junk food yeah. kind of, you know, and again, it's like junk food a little bit better than most people, but still, um, and, but it's yeah. movie night. Right. And it's like, that's when you do that. That's so I teach a very much of a time and place mentality because we, again, I don't really know the reasons, except for, I think it's probably marketing and, you know, commercialism of health or whatever it is. But I think people have this idea that, well, I'll put it this way. If you learn about healthy eating and you don't have the proper mental context, you will then translate that into, I can never eat anything but this healthy food. And as soon as you make that jump, and it's not conscious, by the way, it's just, you don't have the proper context. As soon as you make that jump, you're raising your stress. That, that, that's true. I have people who go, I've been to this person's retreat seven times a year and it, it, their level of stress is, is insane. They, and they're so deep in the weeds on one part of their lives, which is food, that they're missing the entire entirety of, of a great life, which is travel and family and seeing things and is all gone because they have a, you know, a very, yeah. you know. Too, this too is one of the things that I've has really surprised me. Um, is like we 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 my wife and I when we got married 13 years ago we were broke, right? Like we just had no money. Yeah. And so like learning to cook for us was a was like a necessity skill. Mm -hmm. Um, and we got to the point where like we didn't just like learn to cook, we learned to love to cook. Um, and like now we we love making food from scratch, and like the, for the most part, 
we don't even go to restaurants unless we're in like some place like we, we we travel a lot so when we're in cool places we'll go to like the cool restaurant that's right. there or whatever right. but like whatever the locals are like we need to check this place out we'll go eat there right but i don't know probably seven eight times out of ten we could make the same meal better at home because we're yeah we're skilled in that area correct and so but we also we we pretty much can eat whatever we want because we're making whole real food yeah um and then like we'll go visit family or go visit friends who are sort of in the whole processed boxed food like lifestyle and like yeah. we'll spend a couple of days with them and by the end of the couple of days we're like feeling terrible oh yeah it takes its toll uh, especially when you eat well most of the time quickly. when you have a, when you have that stuff it really you can really people who eat that stuff all the time just kind of always feel that way but if you if you're eating well most of the time and then you have that you go whoa yeah, yeah doesn't you feel can good. feel it and it doesn't feel great yeah. and so people are like how are you so fit and healthy when you eat whatever you want and i'm like mostly because we cook real food yeah we eat because what we eat most days what we really want most days is not this yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not restrictive it's that we like eating this way most of the time you know yeah so like yeah. we like we like good food and when you yeah. get good at it it's like we're not suffering like yeah. people come to our food bar and we cook for them and they're like holy crap and i'm like we we eat this way every day yeah we and it's do. not hard. Yeah, and it's it not, costs less. People think that it all those perceptions. That's why I teach at the resort. I teach cooking classes, nutrition classes with this in mind. It is not hard to do. It's not harder to do. It's very easy to do. But they come in the door thinking, okay, I'll try it. But man, oh man. And it's not. Once you take time, guess what? Hang with it long enough, it becomes normal. You don't, you guys don't go, what do we do? You've just been doing this a long time. So have I. I don't think about food every day. I don't measure, count, and weigh anything, right? Yeah. People think you have to, but you don't. You absolutely not only that. It's good not to, you know, because it's exhausting yeah, yeah. to be that to be at that level. I, so. I had to I had to go through because I because I, I was not eating enough. I had to go through and like actually log my food for a little while just so I could get an idea of like how much food is actually the right amount. But after mm -hmm. that, I was like, now that I sort of know that, I don't really care anymore. Me too. Yeah. I, if I'm if I feel fatigued or if I'm not not like if I'm my strength training isn't like improving, I go. I probably got to eat a little more. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's not that I don't. I'm not out of calculator. I go. I you know, and I just. If I put on a little extra fat on my midsection, I go I probably eat a little less or eat uh, eat a little better, you know, because I've been stressed and I kind of, you know, and so it's like, it's not, it's yeah. a little and tweak. And that's that, one of the things that I think is really telling about that is it's, you're, be, you're active, like yeah. you're doing things in your life yeah. and your performance changes and you can tell, like, and I, I noticed that too, it's like, if I can't keep up with my kids when we're swimming in the lake or rollerblading or scooting around or whatever the hell we're doing, because we're doing all sorts of stuff. Um, we hike all the time. And I was like, we get to the end of the hike and I'm exhausted more than I feel like. I'm like, I probably didn't eat enough. <laughs> That's right. Or you're not sleeping well, or, you know, like there's all those kinds of things, right? So you can yeah. kind of look at it and go, oh, that's interesting. You know, and that, let me go to the game tapes, right? And then you sort of look at those things and make little tweaks and you're back on track. Yeah, yeah. Or or like uh, I just had a, a client that I, we're no longer working together. And I realized like that, that client and I had a, uh, it was a negative energy relationship. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. And I can feel it. Toy. Yeah. Um, and removing them is like immediately like changes your energy level. Correct. You know, and that energy better. level translates into other actions that you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you don't identify that, you're going to keep that there because you won't question that. And then it's going to affect how you eat and how you sleep and how you exercise and all those kinds of things. So it is my core strategy of my whole approach. It's called awareness-based habit change. So first and foremost, I'm teaching people an awareness about the actions that they're doing. So they can identify dread, they can identify stress, they can identify stagnancy, they can identify when they're just not liking something. So they're, I'm not shoving the whole bunch of stuff for them to do so that they're distracted from their own questioning of how am I feeling around this? So in your awareness, you're like, this client is not serving me and it's affecting everything else. 
that's the best place to be because then you then you have the ability to remove that source. But if you think that's about what you're eating, it's actually about the client, you know. And that so it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's asking those I, questions of what is actually. I call stake. them. Uh, I call those things uh, psychological barriers to success or uh, psychological encouragements to action. Perfect. Uh, simple things, right? So so like as an example, um, I have a a water flosser I use because mm -hmm. I don't like the actual flossing, so I have a right. water flosser thing, and if I put it on my sink next to, you know, in the bathroom, like on the sink, I forget to use it all the time, just right. never. Yeah. But if I move it three feet to the right into the shower, then you notice it. I use it every day. That's right. right. It's, yeah. it's just, it's like simple environmental things that you can just. I have with clients, of. what I've, what I do with clients, one of my strategies, my tools is that I have them use like little post-it notes. And I go, where do you go every morning without thinking about it? And they go, I go to my coffee pot. I go, good. Put a post-it note on there that says do five squats. Because it, it, and then, and then when they get used to that, I go now move the post-it note over to something else. Right. And it, and it's this, we, to break into our normal routines, we have to keep things changing a little bit. We have to keep an alive environment, just like you did, like moving that thing. You walk in and go, where's my day? Oh, that's it. Oh, I'll use it. And it's just enough to keep you awake. Mm -hmm. But boy, how quickly we can settle into our routines and not pay attention. I had a client one time. She goes, Sid, I had a kid and I literally opened my eyes three years later. And her and her and her weight had gone up, and her stress had gone up, and her health had gone down. And she was like three years. She just was asleep at the wheel for three years, just doing the business of of her life and not paying attention to anything. And she was over it. And she was a great client. I still am in touch with her because years later she's still using my approach because she never wants that to happen again. She wants to be at a place of awareness so that never happens again. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to me how how impactful just being aware. I love the the analogy of the game tapes. Because that's it. Um, that's sort of the way I, I operate now um, is, you know, when I'm like, I'm not feeling I'm not feeling it. I can look around. That's how, you know, I can identify like, hey, it's the client that's causing that negative energy exactly right. right? or whatever it is. Right? It's not always yeah. the client. Sometimes something else. It's, yeah. you know, the air conditioner is not working the way I want or whatever. Yeah. Like there's something that's causing the stress. Just nagging. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. And you're not aware of it. And you're going about your day and you're a little bit irritable. And yeah. instead of going, I guess I'm just a jerk dad, you go, why am I irritable right now? Something's not right. Yeah, you know, let me yeah. figure that out. Let me go to the game tapes and analyze and see what's happening, right? Yeah, and that is like, it's why, super effective. Why, you know, why is it that when my son or daughter did this thing, I flipped out on them instead of having like a normal response, right? <laughs> That's my second book, Raising Healthy Parents. The message there is parents have got to embody their their own example, be the example, but also have tools to manage their own stress. Same same approach that I do, but I applied it to parents because parents often put themselves on hold, so called for the good of the kids. But it's never mm -hmm. good for the kids when the parents are not feeling good. That's it's one of the uh, one of the things I I tell my son all the time because he's he's got all these things he wants to do, um, and they're great things, and yeah. we encourage him and help him do as much as he can. But um, like just like one of the things that I've wanted to do my whole life was take my family traveling and go on adventures and other things. Um, he wants to do falconry oh, and falconry cool. is cool. Um, and he, you can start falconry at like 13, which he's going to be 13 in a couple of months. And I was like, I was like, but you have to be in a specific spot for yeah. several years to do that. Otherwise that's like, a loud RV. Yeah. Otherwise loud <laughs> RV. And, uh, and, and I like, this is just one example, but this, it happens a lot. Um, and, and I've told him a number of times, I was like, listen, one of the things I'm showing you is I'm showing you what it looks like to take control of your life. And this well, is one then. of the things I want to do. Right. So we're doing those things and we'll help you get as much done as you can on your stuff. When you're an adult, you'll know exactly what you want to do and where you can go and go do those things. Right. And how to do it because they saw your example. 
Mm -hmm. different application, but still the, the ethic rings true, which is how to be in control of your life. So your son's learning that message when he's old enough to take over, he'll have those same tools to apply to falconry or to wherever he wants to do. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well that, and the other thing too, is like, you know, kids desires change from week to week. Um, awesome. so we yeah. don't change our whole life based on for falconry. You know. Yeah. Um, so falconry is one of those things. He's wanted to be a falconer since he was three. I don't think it's going to change. He will probably absolutely be a falconer at some point in his life. It's probably just going to be later. <laughs> yeah. My dad was, uh, uh, my dad went to the air force Academy in Colorado Springs and they're the air force, they're the, the Falcons. And so for years we would go, in fact, we started doing it again when I was an adult, but if we'd go to one game every year when either Air Force would play Army or Navy, we'd go to Colorado Springs. And at halftime, they always did a Falcon, a falconry show. And it's like literally one of my favorite things. They have this Falcon go around, they send these things up in the air and it, it grabs them and it does this like swoop around the crowd. It's amazing. So I think that's yeah. super cool. Well, one of the cool things about the uh, the Air Force, um, and actually all airports, and it's not something that I've learned from my son because you know he's into this stuff, is um abatement which is keeping birds off of the runways and whatnot right. is generally the job of a falconer because Whoa. when you um when you use traps and you use poisons and you use anything else you're generally making you're doing you're having a negative impact on the environment right uh, and the ecosystem and whatnot where a falcon is a natural part of the environment you're just directing their actions to keep the birds away from the uh that's amazing. I never knew. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, like, and it's, it's a, it's a huge responsibility too, because like a single goose on the air force base. Um, yeah. It's like, we were, we were talking to the falconer um, who was, and it's like one of the things like he's interested in falconry. So we find falconers and talk to them and talk about their jobs and what they do. And, you know, I was like, just cause we, he, just cause he can't be one yet. He's learning. <laughs> we're yeah. Following our things. He's still learning about it, but like the, um, the, a goose got basically got through and hit one of the engines on one of the uh, F-22s. Um, and they lost that plane. That plane went down. Wow. Right. That's yeah, a, it's, it's, it's a billion dollar mistake kind of thing. Oh yeah. My dad was a, my dad was a fighter pilot and his jets were one engine, mm -hmm. you know? So imagine if a goose going through one engine and you're done, you know, yeah, it's like, you're you done. Know, I was like, like the pilot engine. survived, but the yeah. plane went down. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. Millions and millions yeah. and millions of dollars. Yeah. No, I get it. So, wow, that so is super cool. They're like falconers are falconers are an important aspect of, um, of the entire air flight. Air, oh, air yeah. That's super which you cool. don't, you don't know until no. you, until you until, know, until just now. That's very cool. <laughs> super cool. Uh, so I want to talk about the uh, flip side of your superpower, right? So we talked a little bit about empathy being your superpower. Um, and humor and low key and that kind of stuff. But the uh, flip side of that is, you know, just like every Superman has kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets, it's a victory without going mad. It's a flaw that has held you back in growing your business, something you struggled with. For me, uh, I struggled with a lot of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, which kept me from actually like shipping product because I always make it a little bit better, right? Or the service or whatever. Um, and I also struggled with lack of self-care, which we've been talking about a little bit, but it showed up in a lot of things that I was, uh, you know, the way I was treating my body. And I, I once tried to, uh, um, seeing if I could not sleep for three days, that didn't work well. Um, yeah, um, just in case you're wondering, that leads yeah. to vomiting and sickness. Don't got do it. it. Um, <laughs> not not, not surprised. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, it also showed up in the lack of self care and not having good boundaries with your clients and like letting them just walk all over you and those kind of things. Um, but I think more important than what the flaw was is how have you worked to overcome it so our audience could maybe learn a little bit from your story. Um, I. In grow if it's if it's particular to growing my business, I would say um, my flaw is that I'm I am resistant is a good word to promotion and marketing. I think to the cost of my growth. So 
I don't like those things. I hate, I actually hate them. And I have like a visceral response to like, I quit all social media in 2018. Like I've, there's certain things I've done that are like coaches that I've worked with business, you know, will be like, you gotta be on social media. I'm like, I'm on zero. And they're like, I don't know how to help you, you know? And so, it, but it's like, I'm weighing this against my quality of life, which is so much better after quitting social media. So I'm sort of in this weird place, but it's a, definitely a resistance to my, to my detriment. Uh, to, and regardless of social media, it's just about marketing this thing or getting out there in that way. I don't know if it's a confidence issue. You know, I told one coach once I have a, I said, I have a crisis of confidence because they were like, you are undercharging for what you do. And it was like, so this is how I got over this. I just put my faith in them. They were like, you're, you're way undercharging. And I was like, I don't think clients are going to pay this much. They like, listen, charge that much. And I did. And I've gotten more clients after that. It, it was the most amazing thing. I was like, okay, I'll just charge that much, but I'll show you guys are going to be wrong. And they were hundred percent right. And it was like, yeah. when people paid enough, they're better clients, they're taking job more seriously. They're getting more gains as a result of that. And it was like, whoa. So part of it was just like, I know what I don't know. And I trust that people know more things than I do. And so I put my trust in them. They're not always right, but it, at least I know I don't know. And I, by the way, that's the same ethic I use as a musician. I had a band. People go, you play all the instruments? I go, no, good Lord. I found people who play better than I did. That's the whole point. I would guide the band and I did the songwriting, but I found amazing musicians who did it way better than I could ever do. And I trusted in them. And if they didn't work for it, they wouldn't be in the band. And it was sort of like this idea. Now I find people who are stronger at what they do than I am. And I want to work with them. Those are the people that I want to work with. So I think that's a very good strength to kind of get over. Know what your weakness is, know what your flaws are and find people who are better at it than you are and go to them for guidance in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh I said I'm I'm essentially a professional marketer. That's what we do is we do marketing. And the the charging more, that's that's uh falls under the umbrella of something called price elasticity. Mm -hmm. Um and the uh one of my favorite stories from my business with price elasticity, we were selling uh supplements for a long time on Amazon. We sold a, a metric crap ton of them. Um, but we had um a probiotic that I was testing the price on and we had it set set for $24, I think was what the bottle cost. Um, and we started testing the price elasticity, which is essentially, you know, can you raise the price or lower the price without, without impacting the sales volume? Um, and so I, I started just playing with it and raised it from 24 to $25, no impact on sales, 25 to $26, no impact on sales, 26 to $27, no impact on oh sales. Um, I got all the way to $35. And when it went from $34 to $35, our sales tripled overnight. Um, see, it's it's amazing. This is what I, the one gain. I mean, I spent a lot of money in this marketing team a couple of years ago, and that was the one thing that that I paid back the entire money that I invested in them because they raised my price. They were like, "You are way undercharging," yeah. and um, unbelievable. I never would a million years. I was like, "There's no way anybody's going to pay or pay this." That's just my brain. It was like, "No way anybody's going to pay this," and I was like, "People aren't going to like." put this on a credit card if they don't have the money. And yet I was doing that exact thing with the marketing team. I didn't have the money to hire them. I, I charged it. And I did that because I knew I had to invest in that thing to help me. And I, and so my clients are doing the same thing. They know, they see it. That is an investment in their own health and happiness and it, and they get the re, the reward and the return on it, you know, but it was like this, I couldn't, couldn't figure, I couldn't see it. And then they, that's why I had them to be like, yeah, just do what I, I had. It's funny because I had I had literally the same discussion with a marketing company. It was probably 2017, so it was a number of years ago, and I was doing the same thing in my business. Um, it was it was earlier than that because it was 2012, 13. Yeah, it would have been 2013 timeframe, and 
I was working with a guy this back when like Periscope had just come out and he had this huge audience of people. And like one of the things I did was I helped people write webinars and sell their products and services through webinars. Um, and we still do that. And we've sold millions of dollars of product on webinars. But this is like one of the first big ones that I ever worked with. And he's like, how much would you charge to help me write and deliver and do all this, the, all the backend stuff of this webinar? I was like $500, right? And I wrote his webinar for him and I helped him perform the webinar and we did all the backend stuff for it. Um, and in six weeks, I made him a quarter million dollars. Oh my God. Um, 500 and, bucks. Yeah, for 500 bucks. He had a, he had a really good deal out of it. He gave me a good <laughs> rate review, which is fine. Um, but I like the, the very next day, I went out and I hired a coach and I was like, what am I doing wrong? And he was like, you're not charging enough. And so the very next client, it went for, I went, I 10X my price. And not only were they happy to pay it, <laughs> but we made them. Um, and it was, it was one of those things that it, it's, like the, that client, the, the first client I actually charged what I was worth for, like, we're still friends to this day. Like he invited me out of his house a couple of weeks ago and, yeah. um, and consider, considers like the work that we did together, like the turning point in his business. Right. Um, whereas like the guy that I made a quarter million dollars to, I heard from that one time and never heard from him again. Right. That right. kind of thing. Yeah. It, I'm telling you, it's a psych, it's a psychological, psychological thing. I'm sure I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but it is something about that. Then when people, if they spend the money, they are more invested in the process. I mean, I've had better clients after raising my prices and it's not like they're all wealthy people. They just are like, this is worth it for me. I need to just do this because I've done all these. I've, they've probably spent way more than what they spent on me over the years of doing yo-yo diets, right? So it's, they can kind of go like, okay, I'm just going to spend this one time <laughs> and then I can actually make it happen, you know? And so it's worth it. I like the term yo-yo diets. That cracks me up. It's what it is. That's not, I didn't make you that go, up. You come back, it you is. go, you come up back. And down, get it. Like, up and down. I mean, every, every client I've ever had, Every 100% of clients, I go, so what's your history? And they go, well, I lost weight and I gained and lost weight, I gained it back, I lost weight, I gained it back. And it's what it is. And eventually they exhaust and then they get the real work done. How, how long it takes them to get to that age is up to them. But that's my client. That's my clientele. So speaking of your clients, I want to talk a little bit about common enemy that you're constantly having to fight against. And I probably know the answer to this based on where we were going, but I'm going to ask yeah. you anyways. Um, you know, every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Um, and what we want to put it in the context of your clients, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome when they sign on the dotted line, right? So you can actually get them the result that they came to you for. If you had a magic wand and you could just, you know, bop your clients on the head and not have to deal with that common enemy, what would that be? Diets. Diets. It's yeah. The, yeah, it's like the yo-yo diets, right? Diets. Diets. That is it. quick fix. It, quick fixes in general, but specifically diets. Um. Mo, okay, all my clients come with something about food and weight loss. And I'll be honest, it pisses them off that I go, okay, good, great, great. We'll talk about that in five weeks. What? We'll talk about it in five weeks. What about, like, we're not talking about it yet. We're not talking about it yet. We're not talking about it yet. So <laughs> if I could just get rid of all diets, it would be great. I'd be a millionaire. But in the meantime, they do, they spend the money on those things, they fail, and then they eventually they come to me and, and it's what it is, or who, whomever actually talks about it in an intelligent, long-term way. But yeah, it would be diets for sure. That's what I'm battling yeah. against all the time. That quick fix excitement, that body first, mind never. I'm mind first, body second. My before and after photos of clients would be a little bit stressed in the face and a little bit lighter in the face. It's not a hundred pounds in, in 10 weeks. It's, it's real because after the 12 weeks they work with me, then they continue this work and they get the physical gains that they wanted, but they keep them. So they don't, a lot of, some of clients would lose weight during my 12 weeks with me, but not because I'm telling them to, it's just their mindset's changing around food. They're relating to food different. They start losing weight, but they're learning the system that goes on way past when they're working with me. So it's very cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's such an interesting thing too, because diets are, 
like I don't I don't know the right metaphor for this, but it's 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 like the it's like the caboose on the train kind of thing. It's like the last thing. Mm-hmm. And like everything else has to be right first. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like they're trying to drive the train with the caboose. That's right. They, they go that first. Into, and it's like, no, 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 that's later. All the other things, you know, and it's because that that excitement and that quick physical gain that they get hits that dopamine excitement. And like I said, people at work go, oh my God, you look amazing. What have you done? Oh my God, it's just, it just takes over the whole, the applause is so fantastic. And then the shame of gaining it back and nobody says anything and that, but they know and that weight and it's just, oh, it's exhausting. You know, I always say like, let's remove the figurative weight off your shoulders. And then the literal weight comes off your body. You know, let's get rid of that stuff that's been weighing you down. You know, I, I call it in my book, six truths, I call it the should cloud. I should eat better. <laughs> I should do this. I should. People are shooting all over you. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's start doing things in multiple areas in very small ways. So at least you're acting every day. Then the should cloud goes away. And now you get control over your life. Like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, I call those uh, um, micro completions. It's probably what you you, you consider uh, small steps, yep, right? Exactly. Yeah, micro completions. Oh. It's a habit of action. Mm-hmm. It's a habit of doing. And when those things seem too small, raise them, increase them a ton, increase them a ton. My small step for people is not a certain amount in a in the world. It's how they perceive an action to be. If they think it's for them a small step, it can be way bigger than what your small step might be. But for them, it's a small step, and they will keep them doing it because they go, oh, "That's no big deal." As long as they're saying, that's no big deal, they keep moving. As long as soon as they go, oh man, that's such a big thing. We stop. Yeah. Exhausting. It's it's uh it's interesting. So like one of the things that popped in my head when you're saying that, like small steps when it comes to food. Um, and this goes back to like I mentioned, I mentioned earlier, like my, my wife and I learned to cook, right? And yeah. so like one of the things I used to do all the time, and I still do occasionally, is like you're hungry and you want to go grab a snack, you grab some crackers, right? And you know, those are box prepackaged things with salt all over them, right? And they're great. And they hit the little spot, but it's not terribly good for you. Right. Um, and um, so like one of the things my coach, my coach mentioned, he was like, he's like, just one thing, just replace crackers with nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I, it's like, I'm like but, but I don't like nuts. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so like one of the things I started doing with my kids is we'd buy, we'd buy baked walnuts or not, not, not baked walnuts. We'd bake, we'd buy raw walnuts. Um, cause I like, wal- like yeah. walnuts and they're a really like neutral palate, like from yep. a flavor standpoint. Sure. And if you take, take a bucket full of walnuts and you take it like just a, a, a shot glass full of avocado oil and pour it mm-hmm. over the nuts, then you can basically just, you salt them till they taste good. And then yep. you can just go to the spice cabinet and pull it out, whatever flavors you want and start mixing them in. Yep. Um, cool. You bake them for like 10 minutes and you, so you can get whatever flavors you want. So like yeah. I started teaching my kids about like flavor things. I was like, okay, so we're going to make this set of set of uh, walnuts and we're going to do, you know, taco spices on them, or we're going to do, you know, this spices on them. Or we're going to do Mediterranean spices on them or yep. do whatever. Cause so it's a, it's like, it's fun. It's a fun thing to do together. And you get to like test like different flavor profiles and see how they go. Um, but you've also made yourself a cool snack that yeah. like now I will regularly go to the cabinet and pull out a, you know, our, this week's bag of our, <laughs> our walnuts. What and, those flavor, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and a handful of, a handful of walnuts that you've made yourself that taste delicious is significantly better for you. <laughs> yeah. Than crackers. Absolutely. Crackers. And, you're in, and you're in charge of the salt content on it and everything else that the crackers are, you know, doing for you and God knows what, what else they, you know, how much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the other things too, that I, I, I learned really quickly is that like, you, first off, your body requires salt. Um, yeah. like your heart stops beating if you don't have enough of it yeah. like it's it's an essential so much yeah yeah um but all of the boxed foods and everything that we buy are so over salted that we're generally getting significantly more salt than you want 
That's right. Because we have very little processed food in our diet, um, uh, we have to salt all of our food. Yeah. Well, right? you, we well, you, you do, but you do know that there's salt. Sodium occurs in every, almost every single plant. Like celery is actually a significant sodium source. So you don't, you don't need a lot of extra salt to make up the yeah. salt that, that the human body, you know, we didn't always evolve on salt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need that much. Yeah. You don't need a lot of it yeah. um, for sure. Um, but I've just noticed it's like you, we, when you, you know, when you salt your nuts or you salt your meat or something like that, um, it, you don't get the whole, I don't know what you call it. You can tell when you've eaten a lot of processed food because your skin feels tight. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the whole thing of like people <laughs> drinking water all day. Well, when you eat a healthy diet, you don't even need to drink that much water. Yeah. You know, the reason why we have the standard American diet, why people should drink water all the time is because the amount of salt. They're in the oversalted. Yeah. Yeah. They're dehydrated like nobody's business, you know. And so, yeah. And like you can tell, I, like I can tell now, like, like I said, when we go visit friends or something like that and they have all the processed foods that they make for dinner and whatnot, that like you, you can feel your, you can oh, feel yeah. your skin tight. Yeah, no, like, it literally from, sucks you dry. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, yeah. ah, oh, it feels weird. But it's one of those things that, like, if you live that way all the time, you don't notice. And once yep. you sort of become aware, you notice those things really quickly. That's exactly right. Yeah, so cool. So, Very cool. Well, well, I've only got a couple more questions for you. I want to talk okay. about the flip side of your common enemy, which is your driving force. Right. So just like Spider Man fights to save New York, or Batman fights to save Gotham, or you know, Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it you fight for in your business, your mission, so to speak? Uh, true health and strength of, of the human species. Yeah, true health and strength, true health and happiness. If I had to just say it like that, true health and happiness, which involves being strong in our in our minds and bodies. But yeah, that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for real, substantial health and happiness, not magazine, you know, quick fix stuff. So that is. I that think, is my I think it's interesting that you you mention strength. Um, it almost yeah. You know, you, you said it's probably happiness, but you know, if you're, if you're Freudian slip strength kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I've learned is strength actually looks different than it's presented to us. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I completely believe that even physical strength. Is, yeah, that's, looks I, that, that, yeah. that's like exactly my point. Like you look at like people that are like this, this is what a strong man looks like. And you realize <laughs> that like, that's not, that's not actually what a strong man looks like. No, if in the human body, the, the strongest people I've ever seen are quite slim yeah, and they're killing it. I mean, this guy, Tim Sheaf, he was a parkour world champion in 2011, probably one of the strongest guys I've ever seen. He's not walking around like this. He's, he's, I mean, he's cut. He's obviously strong, but what this guy can do with his body is insane. Conor McGregor, yeah. same thing. Conor makes martial arts fighter when, when he was at the top of his game. I mean, crazy athleticism, not a huge buff dude. So yeah, human strength, but mental strength, I kind of, it's all, all kind of in that same thing. What does mental strength look like? Does it look like machismo and just digging your heels in mm -hmm. and being stubborn? Or does it look like independent thought? Does it look like yeah. being able to change your mind? Like being able to question things. That's right. Does it, you change look the at, way that you. That's <laughs> right. That's right. I talk about strength a lot in my new book, Six Truths, because that book's like a all about happiness and, and it, strength is a through line in that entire book because it's like everyone's super sensitive now, but you know, a little sensitivity is a good thing too. You know, not being, yeah. you know, not just going like, no, man. I mean, look at the picture of the macho, strong dude, big beer belly, can't even move, high pressure, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. How did that get the picture of what a, a strong man looks like? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, it's interesting too, because like we, we're having this, you know, sort of global discussion around toxic masculinity, whatever the crap that is. Yeah. Um, and you realize that like the, the, for lack of a better term, real men are not toxic. Uh, correct. <laughs> 
I I know, right? It's like <laughs> right, like masculinity is not toxic. Those are no. that's an anathema. It's it's like they're they're a contradiction in terms. Yes, that's I compl I completely agree. And we've and we've just got, we've gotten so deep in the rabbit hole about like why do we even let's talk about basic values and not even put them under femininity or masculinity. Let's talk about strength of character. Let's talk about honor. Let's talk about dignity. Let's talk about honesty. Let's talk about transparency. Let's talk about kindness and compassion, and make those. You help yeah, people yeah. embody those values and then don't worry about the whole label thing and the social. That's why I got off social media because it wasn't a real discussion about anything. It was just the name calling and all this kind of rabbit hole clickbaity kind of stuff. And it was like, no, let's go. I'm a my grad, my bachelor's degree is in philosophy. You know, yeah. again, I already started out. There was only seven of us at graduation, you know, not really, but it's like, you know, this little like thing and it's, it's just not out there. And yeah, I yeah, wish people were one of the things like I, I I'm on social media because of the business I do, but the, I know. Uh, um the like i refuse to engage in most of the posts around discussion or politics and and religion and all the other stuff it. that's going on now because there's no there's no mind changing that's happening there no, right? no i was like if you want to change someone's mind take them out for coffee that's ex exactly and it's like <laughs> you know like social it's in <laughs> like my have, in... have a real interaction with someone yeah like, well you I, know. that's the conversation we're missing you know, we're missing that kind of like, you know, I remember in college, like going out to a, a diner, an all night diner and just talking about ideas, you know, and it's like, we, we kids don't do that anymore. You know, I know I'm sounding like an old dude, but TikTok and these kind of bursts of little Snapchatty things are not substantial yeah. and they're fun. But if there's no other side of that, which is real conversation, real discussions about ideas, we're lost as a species. You know, we're not, yeah. we're not changing our minds. We're not looking at the other side of things. We're making assumptions about people. We're not giving people yeah, the benefit yeah. of the doubt. Well, I mean, it's, it's so interesting. Like I've got, I got a good friend of mine um, who, you know, is very into the social media thing and, you know, she's upset about current political things and she'll say things on social media about like, about these things. And I'm, and she's like, if you, if you believe this way, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. And I'll, be, I'll talk to her and be like, it's like, you realize, like, I believe those things. She's like, yeah, yeah but you were different. And I'm like, but am I? Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. If we all went to, I, I, I feel like most people that I probably disagree with politically, I would probably love to go hang out and have a beer with. Yeah, I was you like, know? we're and good it, friends. Yeah, and it's like, and oh, she'll, she'll, she'll be like, she, I was like, your, your belief that like the people who believe that way are, are you know, assholes or whatever the thing yeah. is that you believe. I was like, is fed to you by social media. That's it's right. not real. No, they, and social media's job because it's all for free, is to keep you on their platforms as much as possible. So they are going to manipulate information and they're going to manipulate the way things are framed to make you more engaged in their platform. And I, I, I've said this a bunch in my podcast, my new one, what's it thinks newish um, is that that's a, yeah, what you pay for. We, we, we're, we're at fault because we wanted everything for free. Charge everybody 50 bucks a month to be on Facebook and see how many people stay on Facebook. You know, it's like, we want it for free. So Facebook goes, okay, we got to make billions of dollars. Let's start manipulating headlines and make them look more negative. So people engage. And, and that's what the model is. Get out of it. Doesn't serve anybody or, or, or limit it. I'll put it that way. But one of my truths and six truths is social media ain't social. You know yeah. what it is. It's anti-social. Yeah, like yeah. Know what it is so that you can, you can live your life in spite of it. Know what it is. It's not social. It's not real. It's not human interaction like we're having here. We can have a discussion about stuff. That's not what that is, you know. So, and we can even disagree, right? And I've had plenty of people on my podcast that are on the complete opposite spectrum yeah. for different things, and we can talk about it. And that's the fun part because it's like real human interaction. That's the whole. I mean, I haven't disagreed with one hundred percent of the things you've said today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, <laughs> they're all terrible, <laughs> <laughs> and you're a bad person because of it. Anyways. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. So I want to talk um, about something real practical just um, for for the last last sort of section here. And just like every superhero has their tool belt, right? Like their awesome gadgets, like their batarangs or their web slingers or, you know, their big magical hammer. I'm talking about the top one or maybe two tools you use in your business that you couldn't live without, right? It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for marketing to your product delivery or your coaching. Um, something you think is essential to getting your job done on a daily basis with your clients. What would you think, what would you say one of your, your top tools is? Can I use one of the tools I use with my clients or does it have Absolutely. to be like, in a, okay, so my number one course, core, right, the, this is the first writing assignment I do with every client, okay? And that it's called the ideal idea. And it is this. Imagine that you do not have any idea about what you're actually doing in your life, in the world. And I walk, you have like a blanket over your head and you have no idea what the reality of your life is. And I walk by and I go, hey, Richard, you are living your ideal life. I mean, per like the ideal life, you're living it right now. You write that down in present tense. So I've had obese clients write, I'm at a healthy weight. I do not binge. I live in, you know, New York in a brownstone. You know, I travel the world in an RV. They, uh, I've travel with, you know, I see friends seven days a week. I own my own law firm, all these things that have come up, but they write it as if it's happening now. So when the blanket figuratively comes on, when the figurative blanket comes off, obviously they're going to see where the conflicts exist, where they write, I'm at a healthy weight, but when the blanket comes off, they realize, and they already know, but you know what I mean? In the exercise, they go, oh my God, I'm, I'm obese. So they don't see it as any more like, oh, I'm obese. I'm a bad person. They see, oh, this is not, this is in conflict with my ideals. My this is in conflict Right, the real person. So it removes this good or bad crap that weighs us down and starts seeing where are the conflicts that exist. Some of the things I wrote in my ideal idea, I'm doing. Don't need to work those. I, you know, you'd, you might write down, I'm traveling the country with my family in an RV. Well, when your blanket comes off, you go, don't need to adjust that. That's happening. But there's other things that might be on your ideal that are not happening or that are not happening enough. And that gives you a direction. That's why it's mind first, body second with me. It's I, I don't, I want people to be soup. And by the way, this seems like an easy assignment. Sometimes it takes weeks for people to get this down because the truth is they do know that they're over. I had a client one time and she goes, I, in her ideal, she wrote down, I'm on minimal, I'm on minimal medication. I go, your ideal is that you're on minimal medication? Wouldn't your ideal be maybe that you're on zero medication? But it was very hard for her to sort of wrap her brain around this idea. We feel bad about putting it out there because there might be a reality where you have to be on some medications. So it's like, no, you got to put that on there. It may, you may never achieve it, but it's a direction. It's a place for you to start moving. And when you begin the movement of it, you're a happier person right out of the chute because you're moving, you're taking control of your life. You're moving in that direction. The goal becomes less important over time, but are you, what, what direction are you moving in? So that's, that's the number one thing I would leave your listeners with is on paper, what are your ideals? What do you stand for? What is your perfect look life look like? And that will keep you from going on a diet because I've never had a single client say, I lose weight and gain it back in their ideal. <laughs> never. They always, go, I'm at a, they, they always go, I'm at a healthy weight. I don't think about food very much. If you know that is what you stand for, maybe it's not, but if it is, you'll never go on another diet again because that won't get you closer to your goal. That will help you dictate what your actions are right out of the shoot on day. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, I just read uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Um, I can't remember the guy who wrote that book, but anyways, the uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, he talks about humans are like, we are at our best when we are going somewhere. Right. Right? Like we have, we have a journey. Like if we're not going on a journey, like we can't, we can't do anything. And he was we like, the first part of going on a journey is creating your identity. That's right. Right. We have, and as a lot of people, we just, 
we just have whatever identity that we've we've sort of developed over our life. We never what people like, have told us. Yeah, or told Parents. us we never actually like developed our own. And it sounds like that exercise is you're helping people to define their identity. That's a hundred percent correct. And then strive towards it. That's exactly right. The last truth of my new book is called Happiness is in the A to Y. Not in the Z. It's in the A to Y. It's in getting I said as soon as you reach a goal, the neck go, oh my God, that's so great. I reached the goal. Next day, start a new goal. Because that's where the happiness is. It isn't finishing the race. That's amazing. That's a great day. That's excitement. But happiness is in the training for the next race. And that's where we get locked up because we think yeah, it's in the it's, result. It's one of the things that I love the most about traveling. Um, and so my my business now is about 13 years old. And for the first seven years, I was I was at home um, in one spot, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but five years ago, we started traveling. Right. And in the last five years, I have grown my business probably six six times since what what I did Moving. the first seven years. Wow. Right. So like, um, and and people ask me all the time, like, do you, do you think traveling has something to do with that? Um, and I don't quite know if the answer to this what what the answer to that is yet because I'm still thinking about it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that because we're always in motion, um that that motion translates into a lot of other things. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Like that I'm I'm in motion in my business. I'm in motion with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult for me to get comfortable in a routine. Huh. Um, that keeps things fresh and, and alive. It does. And it's it's, it's interesting. So and, and so what I've been trying to figure out is like traveling can't be the answer to that. Yeah, because not everyone can travel like that, and also there are plenty of people who are incredibly successful with their businesses who don't travel. Right, right. right. So, uh, so I'm like, so that's it's 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 not the it's not the reason, but it is an impetus in my life. So I'm like, I'm like, how do you? And I think part of it is just because our we have a relentless focus on motion, uh-huh. um, and that Super just sort cool. of spills out into other things, right? Where because you realize it's it's about the journey. Yeah. Um, and and I one of the things that like I've sort of realized in my own business was. I, I, for a long time, was striving for getting to a particular destination or a particular goal. Uh-huh. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, like having a goal or whatever. But if you're not enjoying the process, like right. the actual journey portion of getting to those goals, then it's very difficult to actually make any progress towards them. <laughs> That's super interesting. Uh, and I, I think the difference is, is that if I go on vacation, I go, I want to go to Scotland and I can't wait to get to Scotland. But because you're sort of in a perpetual travel mode, you've mm-hmm. trained your brain that it's less about the destination. You've created the sort of metaphor of a good life in the sense that you're like, we're in a traveling mode now. This is what we do. And so because yeah. of that, you're almost forced in a good way to notice the journey along the way to Santa Fe. You know, yeah. and so that's pretty, pretty incredible. If you can, if I, and I, this is what I struggle with too, because I'm like, if I could just get my, you know, that get, get out of there and really say, I mean, this is a really cool place. Let me develop this and actually be mindful of the travel along the way. It, it, it can only be a good thing. That's a very, that's yeah, very cool. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting, like I said, I, I haven't quite got that solidified into like, here, I could teach someone else this ma- ma- mindset yet, but it's, it's like a thing. It's the thing I'm discussing with myself, with people on the podcast, obviously. Super interesting. Super but, interesting. But it's 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 that whole idea that like I'm I'm in a place wherever it's at, but I don't have a destination. Yeah. I mean, the destination is like we're traveling. Yeah. And we're yeah. enjoying the journey. That's right. And so I'm learning to enjoy the process of like I have to find a new grocery store here. 
right? Yeah. I don't know the grocery store. I have to find it and then figure yeah, out yeah. where all the stuff that we want to buy is in it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure out which restaurant we want to go to and who we're going to hang out with this evening, which means like I have to go and knock on someone's door and be like, hey, I noticed you got a bunch of kids' bikes in your front. We got kids that are the same age. You want to go have dinner together? I have like, an idea. Kind of I have an idea for you. What's that? You you call it the traveler's mindset. You help people develop the traveler's mindset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm giving um, that to you. That's pretty cool. Because if you I go like on helping you with develop the traveler's mindset, it doesn't have to be that you have to travel. But if you have the traveler's mindset, if you're training your your clients to embody this idea of being in motion, even mm -hmm. if they're living in one destination, but in their business being in motion, always being in motion in some way, it's very cool. I like I like what you're yeah. doing. This, this is and interesting. It's like, it's like a whole like, other podcast. <laughs> Just to move it, move it into like my business. One of the things that I've noticed has been like, like building the systems and processes that run the business mm -hmm. is, is a, there's, it's not a, it's not a thing that ever is done. Right. Right. There's no right. destination for it. Like, right. Hey, you've got this process done and this process done. They're always growing and changing. And so it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to get finished with. And one of the things that I've sort of learned to do is really enjoy that process. Right. <laughs> which I didn't earlier in my career. I, and, yeah, now, I, and now I do. Um, and part of it is because I realized like there isn't a destination. Here. No. It's just, it's just progress. It's so funny. Cause I, cause I've gotten better at that. I'm still, it's a struggle, but I've likened uh, my small steppers practice with clients to yoga because I said, have you ever known a yoga instructor who goes, I'm done. I, I know everything. No yeah. yoga instructor, yoga instructors take courses. They take their own classes. They're teaching, but also taking classes. It's an ongoing, it's a practice. Yeah, And if you can apply that to your, in, in all things in your life, that it's a process and a practice, you're a happier person for it, by the way, healthier and all those kinds of things that come along with that. And it's very cool. The traveler's mindset, I'm digging that. Yeah, me too. I think we said so we've got the coolest thing out of the podcast so far. Is the, I think, yeah, yeah, I think the, traveler's mind, the traveler's mindset. That's yeah, because, because cool. like I said, it's, and it, just to tie that back into what we we're talking about is the whole identity thing is you're setting up someone to like, to, to essentially set them up for having a traveler's mindset that you're like, I, this is where I want to go. I want to go to this place. This sets you in motion. The ideal yeah, idea sets them in motion. It sets them in That's the whole idea. They, and they keep that thing. It's a, it's a living document. They are referring to it. They're editing it. They learn new things. They change, they go back and change that. Mm -hmm. And they go, I don't want to be a famous rock star. I thought I did, but I don't, I want to be a novelist. And they go back I'm a, I'm a best-selling yeah. novelist. And they've never written a word in their lives, but then they get to small step into writing and they start doing writing three sentences a day and all these kinds of things. Movement, constant traveling. It's movement. movement. Very cool. It's movement. And I remember like one of the things that I wrote down because I did, I did something similar. I wrote a perfect day. Right. Okay, there was, you go. It was, it's funny. It so like this, this is not a joke. My current one now with clients is ideal idea. But then on the second page, it says the ideal day. Not even kidding. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's already happened. It's, it's been, been, it's been happening the last six months. I was like, you know what? I want to do the ideal day too. So they can kind of see where that formulates. Yeah. To. Anyway, and go ahead. So like I, I wrote the ideal day, like what my ideal day looked like and it's changed a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And over the course of years of like what my ideal day looked like, cause it's exactly what you're talking about is you go, you get things and you're like, Oh, I don't actually care about that. That's right. right? Knowledge. <laughs> and, and, and part of it is cause you, you think, you think you have things that you want to do. And then you realize like, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. Like one of them, like, I think on my ideal day, when I wrote it initially, it was like, I wanted to drive a specific type of type of car. Uh -huh. um, and I realized over the course of like living that I just, I just don't give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you realize that the thing that I wanted was I wanted, I wanted to have a specific freedom of motion That's right. that I thought the particular car would give me. And it wasn't the car, right? It was something different. 
bigger um, picture. But it's not something that you you figure out until you're in motion, right? You That's have right. to be in motion to learn those things. These things re are revealed when you're doing things. You know, yeah. and it's one, one of my, not to like talk about this book, but my new book is about all this stuff. But one of the truths is know what you give a crap about. Because yeah. if you don't, if you don't apply a thought to that, you get swept up into some stupid office politics or some idea of a BMW. And that's not actually what you want. You know, and, and yeah. you, you know, in, 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 in only in being engaged in your life, do you, do you find those things out? Once my clients start moving, then all this stuff comes flooding in. And that's why we take it slow to, you know, awareness-based habit change, give them space around what they're doing, not flooding with a diet where they have to measure something out at 1030 in the morning, giving them minimal, minimal things to do so that their motion begins. And then awareness of how they're feeling and information comes in. It's the coolest thing. Same idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that it's like, I, I actually started with that sort of ideal day stuff. Um, and I ended up with a health coach because that's where it led me. Interesting. Like, it was like, I, I wanted to get to a point where, where I didn't have to care about food and fitness and other things because it was just how my life worked. Yep. Um, and I realized I didn't know enough about my, I didn't know how my body worked well enough to do that. Right. And so it led me to getting a, a health coach. Wow. Super. Wait, the, the turns we take, right? How cool. Yeah. How cool. So right on. Um, that's cool. Uh, and I love that. I love that as a tool. Um, if, and it just, if you're listening and you have never done that exercise of writing out a perfect day or an ideal thing, it is, I can look back at that as being one of the, the changing points in the trajectory of my life and really getting to where I wanted to go. So it grounds people. And, it. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's the, we, my clients, it's the first thing period, period. People in my online program right now, one of them has already gone through it, but she did it a few years ago. Now she's doing it again. And she just wrote me an email. She's like, I'm just redoing that thing because they get a little off and they're back into it and they're reformulating that ideal idea, seeing where it is now. Yeah, cool. absolutely. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I got one more question for you here before we wrap things up, and it's about your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up, I'm going to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you use regularly in your life. Uh, integrity. Integrity and living the example. The, you know, working to, working to live, the, always having that in the back of my mind, both as a parent, but as a practitioner and as a husband, um, being 
having strength of character and integrity and 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 living the example not it's not about what i'm saying so much as what i'm doing and 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 i if people can disagree with me but i want them to go like well he's doing it you know and so that's that's the most important thing for me is is living the example that would be my guiding principle so this might be one of those things that's fascinating just to know on the other end of the uh, the interview is we're we're at roughly 225 interviews or something like this of you know, entrepreneurs from like every walk of life everything from fortune 500 companies to coffee shop owners in the philippines to health coaches like yourself i ask that question on almost every interview and the number one answer by a humongous margin like 95 96 percent of people that i have on here they answer integrity oh. okay. uh, which is interesting to me because one of the reasons i started the podcast is like the the, we have culturally this idea that entrepreneurs are the villains, mm -hmm. right? And like, you can't turn on a kid's TV show without the villain being some version of you know, entrepreneur pulls, pours oil on ducks for money. That's right. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, there I are think, those people. Yeah, there are those people. They exist. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, actually, one of my, my good friends and I, we have a theory about why that, why that is, um, because it's, it's an anathema, right? It's, uh -huh. it's not normal. So it makes yes. a good story. Yep. Social right? media. There you go. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. it makes a good story, which is why it's always the story. The story yeah. is always entrepreneur is bad guy. And the problem yeah. is culturally is people like yourself and myself and a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, we look at our business in a negative light because we have this misconception that entrepreneurs are villains. Yeah. Um, but when you actually look at what entrepreneurs are doing, they're looking at making a positive impact and positive change. And they pretty much always universally hold integrity as one of the highest principles that they live their life by and run their business by. Um, yeah. And I just find that interesting. That's very, it's very interesting, very interesting because it's, it is not what, you know, and there we're out there, but we just don't make the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, so. you, you, you mentioned earlier, you're never going to be huge, right? <laughs> no. And I was pissed about that for a long time. Like I know I, you know, I always, when I was a musician, I was like, why, why can't I make plat platinum records? It's like, that's not what I do. You know, I had integrity as a musician too. You know, I wasn't trying to write a hit, you know? And so you either like me or you don't like me, but I was able to stand behind my music and I'm able to stand behind my work and it makes me a happier person for yeah. it. And, and one of the things that has um, really changed my impact or changed my view of like the way that I impact the world is that like, if you look at um, it's, it's that, that starfish story. If you've ever heard that starfish story where there's a, you know, a, a little boy is on the beach and there's an old man on the beach and he's going down the, um, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the old man is, uh, is walking down the beach. He's a little boy. He's, he's tossing starfish back out of the ocean. And there's just thousands and thousands of those starfish because they all got washed up on the shore for something. And he's just tossing a starfish back out into the ocean. And the old man's like, what, why are you doing that? Like, you're not going to make a difference. Like there's a lot of these starfish are going to die. And the little boy bends down, he picks up another starfish and he tosses it back in the ocean. He goes, it makes a difference to that one. Yeah. He picks up another starfish and he tosses it in the ocean, made a difference to that one. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and it's, it's just that idea that like I may not be the kind of person who's going to like impact the world by like a uh, um, an Oprah Winfrey or right. you know uh, the Eagles or something like that, um, yeah. right? But the people that I do work with, um, you know, I impact their lives and change the change the trajectory dramatically, right? Like yeah. I have a uh, I'll forever be a part of their story. That's right, <laughs> and they and they influence as a result of your work. It does bleed into other. Mm -hmm. it, it bleeds into the relation, you know, I, me as a health coach, like I've, I know I positively affected relationships. I know that I positively affected marriages because in helping a wife maintain her stress and be happier person, the husband's happier for it. You know, they, they might the go like, what the, grow up better and, and the kids everything. are happier. The household is more positive, you know, or I'm helping a husband the same way. It doesn't matter what, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it, it does, it does, it does affect the world. Just not, I know, I know not in a massive way, but it does, it bleeds out. It bleeds out. It's a, what I call the ripple effect. Yep. Right. Right. It's the stone you throw in the stone you throw in the lake that forever changes the 
the landscape. That's right. That's right. So, so, so it goes. Well, cool. I think that is a great place to wrap our interview. Um, I do finish every interview with something I call the Heroes Challenge. And I do Good. this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone is out doing the podcast rounds like you or yep. I do. Um, so my question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with us here on the Hero Show? First person that comes to mind for you. I would say probably Joan and Jeff. There's two, but they're married. They own the Stanford Inn and they're they're an eco resort and they have been pretty much trailblazers along the way and have suffered in a good way, I think, but the same kinds of fates that we we have, like they're under the radar, they have a challenge of running a business that they're trying to make it as ethical and sustainable as possible in a real way, not a sort of, we're ethical, we're, I mean, sorry, we're eco, but they're actually on boots on the ground trying to do this right, definitely not perfect. Um, so yeah, I think it's been, and they've had their business for 42 years. And That's it's constant, constantly evolving and growing this little family run. They have a very like cool, they live on the property. You know, they're not this corporate owned kind of thing. And, and uh, it's very cool to watch. I'm, I'm happy to be a part. I've been living there. I've been working there, not living there, working there for, for 15 years, 16 years. And um, it's, very, it's, very, it's an evolution and very cool to see. Yeah, well, I'll see if we can reach out after the show and get an introduction. Maybe we can get them on and say hi. Maybe we can't, yeah. but sometimes when we do, yeah. we get uh, stories that... Um, you just otherwise don't get a chance to hear because yeah. they're not out doing the podcast rounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, so um, we'll definitely reach out afterwards to see about that. But Sounds in good. comic books, there's always the uh, crowd of people who are cheering and clapping at the end for the acts of heroism. So our analogy to that here on this show is where can people light up the bat signal, so to speak, um, right? Where can they go if they want to get your help? And more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to raise their hand and say, hey, you know what, said, I'd love to speak with you and work with you. Yeah, well, pay people who don't want to do the same thing over and over again, they're over it and they want to do the hard work, but the good work, the best work of taking control of their lives. And you can find me not on social media, smallsteppers.com, smallstepintensive.com. Smallsteppers.com is my online program. Um, I do live Q and A, so I'm very involved. Small Step Intensive is my private coaching 12 week program, smallstepintensive.com. And then otherwise sidgarzahillman.com, which is my main site. You can get to my YouTube channel through there. You can get to my old podcast, the Approaching the Natural podcast and the one I've been doing now for 155 episodes, which is called What Sid Thinks. You can go to sidgarzahillman.com for all things me. Awesome. So what yeah. we'll do is we'll take those links and make sure that they're in the show notes for this episode. Cool. Um, and Sid, so much, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. I have enjoyed our conversation um, immensely. Um, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? No, I just want to thank you for your time. And, and I know we went over a little time, but I think we had a really cool conversation. I didn't know uh, it was very cool. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah.